OrangeFizz.net. All right, back on Fizz Radio. Tim Leonard now joined alongside a very special guest, John Mugar, who is the founder and CEO of the basketball tournament, TBT, going on all throughout the week and all the way up until early August on ESPN. John, first off, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great, Tim. How are you? Doing well, man. This is uh, year six of TBT, and it just feels like this thing just keeps on growing and growing. You've got ESPN broadcasting all the games, the big sponsorship deal with Puma. How cool has it been from your side of things to just see this idea keep coming to life? It's, uh, it gets more and more surreal every year. I think it, every time, I mean, our first game, I went back today and looked, our first game had 17 people in the crowd back in 2014. And um, tomorrow night I'll be walking into uh, you know Wichita, Wichita State facility that has 7,000 plus people there, and um, and then we have a sellout in Syracuse this Friday the next day, and uh, it's just uh, with that you know the Syracuse crowd alone will be the biggest we've had if not for Wichita in the history of the six-year history of the property. So it gets really surreal when you are standing in amongst that and just thinking to yourself that an idea ultimately created all of this passion and this product that, and, you know, who knows what these people would have been doing with their summer nights if not for a TBT. Yeah, it's crazy. And you said, I mean, people up here are crazy about it. Bayheim's Army, the former Syracuse alumni team, is playing it again this year and should be a real contender. Let's go back, though, to maybe 2013 or even a little bit before that. How did you sort of come up with this idea? What was the inspiration and what ultimately made you decide, all right, I'm going to go for it? It really started out as a text messaging thread amongst friends. Uh, me and my friend since uh, seventh grade, Dan Friel, he lived in New Orleans at the time. I was in L.A. It was a Sunday morning, late morning, and we were texting each other back and forth. And the premise then was, what do you think would happen if you created uh, a single basketball game or tournament for $50 million? And, and who would enter? What types of teams would try to get in? Would LeBron try to play? You know, how disruptive would something like that be in on this existing sports infrastructure that we have? And uh, we, we kind of go back and forth with a lot of crazy ideas, but for some reason this one just kind of stuck, and it became an obsession. And over the course of, I would say, four or five months, I found myself going to a, a coffee shop on off days when I wasn't working and working on this Microsoft Word document to, uh, to kind of spell out exactly how this could happen and, and, and just refining the concept. And then once I had something that I felt pretty good about, I started sending it around to, to friends and family and getting feedback. And ultimately, you know, two years later, it took us to actually put on an iteration of it, which was a half a million dollar winner-take-all tournament in Philadelphia. And, and after that point, we got the attention of ESPN and, and, um, and kind of off we went for about five years up to this point now. Where were you working at the time before you decided to go all in on TBT? I was a producer uh, on Tim and Eric Awesome Show for on Adult Swim for about six years. So I started with them prior to their first 
the first episode of that show, and I, I saw that one all the way through the end. Wow. So you're a producer. You go to friends and family, and you say, I want to start this basketball tournament. I'm imagining the feedback wasn't, oh, yeah, go for it right away, right? No. I mean, and the, the most startling thing is when you walk into a an executive's office with a PowerPoint deck of a you know, $50 million tournament, and you're somebody who's coming from a completely different world who's never done anything remotely close to that. And, and they, um, you know, it's a, it's a very cool idea. I think top to bottom people thought it was a great idea and it would be really awesome. But then, you know, inevitably they look across the table and see me and say, I mean, I don't know if this kid can pull it off. Probably not. <laughs> Well, now you're the one laughing at him right now. Was there one particular moment when you said, all right, now I know this is kind of a big deal. Now I know this is something that it was a good idea all, all along, but now I kind of see the fruits of it. The, the first moment like that, I think, was 2014, the first year we did it. In the first game, it was like 8.30 in the morning. We scheduled all these games back-to-back. I think we had 32 teams playing in one day, and it was – like maybe 56 seconds before the tip and one team had four people and the other team had like seven and the fifth guy was Marshall Henderson and he came running into the gym with his jersey spun around his neck and he's like all right let's play some basketball <laughs> no warm-up just jumped right into the game and like that was the moment where once the once the they started the whistle started the clock started and then we actually were playing basketball that was a huge milestone because it had been three and a half years from from inception to that point um and then I would have to give credit, not just because I'm talking to you, but the following year when Bayhams Army came in, you know, I, I we had some alumni teams previously, but I just did not understand the the passion that you guys have for your team, and that that was like a whole other notch when I walked into that gym that night, and everyone was cla- standing and clapping at the beginning of the game until a field goal was hit, and like I, that that was unbelievable that moment. Yeah, I mean, people up here are crazy about it, man. We just see it in the articles we post here on Orange Fizz, and you could tell right away that people want more content about it. People are following it. So it's been really cool to watch this thing grow. Talking with John Mugar, who is the founder and CEO of the basketball tournament, Bayheim's Army, competing in it again this year. And they'll actually be hosting this year in the OCC regional you mentioned that was already sold out what brought that idea about to add some host teams to this year's tournament i I, from the beginning days i i I really just can't stand neutral site basketball and i think it's like the one my favorite events march madness so i don't i don't want to knock it it's the one thing about it that i can't stand and like the the one thing that the nit format's awesome it's just it's i love home court advantage basketball and um and so we knew we wanted to figure out a way to get that home court advantage for certain fans. And it took us about four years to realize it. We first, first we put sites in like big cities to try to get as many players as possible, like in New York and LA. But last year we kind of branched out and did an experiment with an Ohio State alumni team in Columbus and then a, a VCU alumni team down in Richmond. And it went really well. And so, I mean, immediately, we always knew Syracuse would be kind of a home run, but we wanted to test it elsewhere first because we, we, um, you know, we don't want to just want to throw something in front of the fan base without really knowing if it's going to work or not. So once we saw it, the second we saw it happening down there, we're like, okay, we're, I think we're, get, we're ready to go to Syracuse. 
So that's new this year. There's 64 teams competing in this first round. What are some other improvements or changes this year that fans should know about that might be different from other TBT tournaments in the past? The um, the eight regional sites is a big one. They're they're playing back to back to back days that first weekend. That's a new one. So we we actually the player commitment this year is only two weekends. It used to be three weekends if they advanced all the way through. We thought that was a big deal for a lot of these players. Um, just because in the summer, when a lot of these guys are home from Europe or from wherever they play, they just want some time off. They have weddings to go to, or they're getting married themselves or having children. And, you know, we wanted to be able to free up as much time for these players as possible to, to appeal to an even elite, you know, more elite caliber player. Um, that's a big one. The, I mean, the, the, at the end of game, Elam ending, the, that was a big decision to implement that last year and then to bring it back again this year. So that's another big one. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with it, the way that you consume everything uh, TBT-related. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the core things you guys do, and you guys have been creative and keeping it entertained with a lot. But that Elam ending, what was the genesis behind that idea? For those that don't know, obviously, it's the you play to a certain target score once it gets to four minutes, right, left in the game? Yep. Yeah, the last dead ball timeout there. You shut the game clock off, so you keep, keep it off for the rest of the game. And you set a target score by taking the leading team score and adding eight to it. So the first team to the target score wins. Yeah, it's really cool because you can end a game on a dunk or a big three-pointer or something. Obviously, it eliminates the possibility of overtime. So what went into the decision-making in terms of that idea? That was a, a crazy one. So I, I think maybe three days after our 2016 championship, we got an email at the, in the inbox at info at the tournament.com, And it was a 67-page PowerPoint deck from someone named Nick Elam about uh, his research. He's, a, he's, a, he's in his 30s. He's a Mensa. He's a middle school principal in Ohio. He personally DVR'd 2,000 basketball games over the past four or five years, and he got home from work at night and fast-forwarded the fourth quarter, and he tracked, well, he personally tracked all his data as far as what happened at the end of all these basketball games. And so in the 2,000 games that he tracked, he found that 1,000 went the root of the trailing team fouling at the end of the game to prevent the game clock from running out because that's the only strategy they have. And out of those 1,000 games, the 1,000 teams that went, went on to foul like that, only 17 saw the trailing team come back and win. And so his data proved not only was it very frustrating from a fan's perspective, sitting through those games with the losing teams fouling over and over again, the last minute takes 10 minutes to play out, but it was a completely ineffective strategy that only, you know, you only get rewarded as a fan 17 out of 1,000 times. And so he had this solution to it, which I thought was just blasphemous the first time I read it because I'm, I'm, I'm a basketball purist. But the more I read it, the more I considered it and we implemented it. It's just like I'm, I'm so excited that we're the only ones doing it because, like, for the first time in three years, to be honest with you, Tim, like, I really honestly feel like this is going to go everywhere in basketball at some point. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, that's interesting data for sure. I know March Madness kind of copied you guys with the bracket reveal at the end. Maybe someday you'll be a visionary, and obviously Elam will be a visionary for uh, changing the way basketball is played in the future. I I guess that's a lofty goal, but it's cool what you guys are doing with getting creative and making it more interesting from a fan's perspective. Yeah, it took March Madness four years to do the bracket, Um, so I think it might take them a little bit longer to adopt this. It's it gives us a unique identity in the summer, and um, it only helps because you know we we're we're the ultimate type of a 
with the, with the ultimate event to do something like this. No one else would ever do it because they're too successful to take a risk like this, and we're not successful enough to, to not risk. So we're, we're, very, we're more than happy to do things that make sense like this. Yeah, it's an interesting approach. Talking with John Mugar, the CEO and founder of the basketball tournament. All right, before we let you go, John, we do have to ask you a little bit about Bayheim's Army. I know you're probably just rooting for the tournament to go well and not picking a team specifically, but ESPN came out with their rankings. They had Bayheim's Army as the number three team out of the 64 slotted. They are a number one seed. Obviously, Overseas Elite is that team that everyone's trying to chase down, four-time reigning champs. How do you see Bayheim's Army stacking up in this tournament? They're always a great CBC team because they have awesome CBC players. Like the, the best CBC players aren't necessarily like the most talented, but Bayhams Army has some of the most talented. They also have they have guys with heart and who can tap into anger. And um, like Devendorf is like your prototypical CBC player. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I despise the player more than Devendorf when he was in college and then love a player more now that he's in CBC. Now that I'm I'm watching him play and understand how he plays, he's like he's the fiery, fieriest, best CBC type of competitor. Hakeem Warwick is another guy who just turns it up a notch. He was in that first game, by the way, at 8:30 in the morning back in 2014. But he's he's like such a great prototypical CBT type player. So they, it's a great chemistry for CBT. Gillen's another one. I mean, they are top to bottom. They just have a lot of guys who almost play like they have chips on their shoulder and that's like exactly the formula you need to have success in TBT. they've been successful in the past we'll have to wait and see this year runs all the way through august 6 and ends in chicago does the basketball tournament john thanks so much for joining us thank you tim